So when I was seeing her, I said to her, oh, are you taking HRT? And she was like, before I could say anything else, she said, look, that is my choice. And the people who told me not to take, they're either dead or in the hospital. <laughs> I want to live life my way, so I'm going to take it. Welcome to Full Circle Women's Health Podcast, a podcast aimed at empowering women to better understand and manage their health. I'm Dominique Baum, a women's health GP, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Preetam Ganu, gynecologist at Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynecology. Welcome to Full Circle Family. Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynecology is specialized women's health practice in South Australia, providing holistic care to women and girls of all ages and backgrounds in all seasons of life. So today is our last episode for this season. We have discussed about many different topics like endometriosis, pelvic pain, polycystic ovary syndrome, contraception. And I think we started with the normal periods and we are now going to end with the periods, is it right? That's right. I think it's kind of nice in a symbolic way that we're finishing at the end of a woman's reproductive life with a conversation about menopause or the M word. As I said, it's the end of someone's reproductive life. Um, it's always a retrospective diagnosis, which we've mentioned a bit previously. Basically, menopause is when it's been one year since a woman's last menstrual period. So the average age of that happening in Australia and in a lot of Western countries is about 51. But commonly that can happen between about age 45 to 55. If a woman's period stopped before the age of 40, we would call that premature menopause and that would need further investigation and, and definitely would need treatment with something like hormone replacement therapy until the average age of menopause. And so pretem, it doesn't just stop like that for most women. There's a bit of a roller coaster in the lead up. Did yeah. you want to talk a little bit about those years, perimenopause? Yeah, definitely. So as you just mentioned, the perimenopause, so a couple of years before we actually stop our menstrual period or have our last menstrual period, our cycles or menstrual period starts changing. There are many different changes. So some people find that their cycles change from like they used to be like 28 to 30 days and now it is coming to only 25 days or 24 days or some people start finding that their cycles are getting a bit irregular so they had one period and missed one period or missed a couple of periods in between or it is quite heavy and quite irregular so everyone is a bit different in that but around this time physiologically we think that the hormones are changing so women's follicle stimulating hormone is a bit more because the uh, all women are born with certain number of eggs and that number of eggs are going down so our stimulating hormone has to work a little bit more. Mm. And quite often these menstrual cycles, which are close to perimenopause, in those cycles, there is ovulation is not happening. So they are a bit unovulatory, so they can be a bit irregular. So that's one change in terms of cycle. But because of these fluctuations of hormone, there are some other changes as well. So women sometimes start finding that they're feeling very hot or they're getting hot flashes. Or occasionally they find their mood is changing or their body shape is changing. They're finding difficulty to lose weight. So they overall it seems like a bit vague symptoms. So some may say they're not able to sleep or things like that. But in general, they are sort of uh, changing towards different menopausal changes. And depending on their life situations, there are a bit more added layers. And this time of life we usually describe as perimenopausal 
time. Uh, particularly for a gynecologist, I see a lot of women around the perimenopause because of the irregular heavy menstrual bleeding. And we have done episode about heavy menstrual bleeding before, but I usually suggest if that is affecting their day-to-day lifestyle, it is really important that something needs to be done about mm. it. Other thing about the menopause I really like to highlight that quite often I say that is the time to pause and look after yourself. What a nice <laughs> way to, to think about it. <laughs> so uh, quite often women are so busy looking after their husband, their parents, their kids and like sort of everyone else in their life is their priority instead of their own health. So I usually say when you are getting this perimenopausal time or menopause, it is time to pause and make your health as a priority mm. and i think this is a really good window for our long-term health so if we start taking steps towards health from this window it is usually going to benefit in long term and that can be like simple steps like uh, doing regular exercise having healthy diet or being mindful about what you're eating or doing all the screening tests like uh, your cervical screening test as we discussed in your last episode or mammograms or blood pressure check and mm. all general health checks. So, yeah. I agree. It's a wonderful opportunity for us as uh, health professionals to be having those conversations with women. It is often a time when women can feel really lost and frustrated and isolated because, as you said, there are so many different symptoms and a lot of the time it can feel quite vague and women can feel like they are going crazy I'm just going to run through some of the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. And we think most of these symptoms relate to low estrogen. So our ovaries, when you're uh, maturing an egg and releasing that, it's also releasing estrogen. And so over perimenopause and then as you enter menopause, your overall levels of estrogen are dropping lower and they're not so consistently available because you might not be ovulating every single month. So common symptoms of this perimenopause and menopause transition, really our cells from top to toe have estrogen receptors. So you can have also all sorts of symptoms. I tend to break them up in this way. Neurocognitive symptoms. Mm -hmm. So that's things like brain fog, memory issues, particularly word finding difficulties, mood changes, and particularly irritability um, and it's a real time when anxiety and depression can flare up for a woman, even if she's had no history of that in the past. And it does make sense, really, if you think that your estrogen is your nurturing hormone and that's not so readily available, so you feel a lot less nurturing. Mm -hmm. Also, as you mentioned, sleep can become less refreshing and libido can drop. And then those vasomotor symptoms, which is the typical hot flushes and night sweats, and maybe one in four women will have mild or no symptoms there, but the majority of women will have at least moderate hot flushes and sweats through this transition. Then there's the genitourinary symptoms of menopause, mm -hmm. uh, which is really thinking about the bladder and the vagina. So typically that'll be bladder urgency. And the classic is a woman will put the key in the door and then suddenly be busting to get to the loo and not able to hang on. So it's that real urgency as well as vaginal dryness. And, and then miscellaneous changes, so muscle and joint aches and pains, maybe skin being more dry or itchy, hair loss and then hair growth in places that you don't want it to be growing. And as you said, a big one is the weight change and particularly a bit of weight gain around the belly. 
those are as you very nicely described different symptoms only thing i would highlight that every women is different mm. so not everyone will get all these symptoms and some women will have no symptoms at all or some women will have lots of those symptoms sometimes it runs in families so if someone had whose mom had a lot of menopausal symptoms chances are that they may get a lot of menopausal symptoms as well uh, and it also depends on their internal life what's happening mm. and how things are affecting because some of these symptoms are multifactorial as well so for example something like a sleep or weight they are dependent on so many different things mm. that it may not be only menopausal symptoms or only hormone related so we need to explore other things as well yeah Yeah, it's so true. And as you said before, this stage of a woman's life is often a time when there's so many other demands on someone's time. So perhaps children are becoming teenagers and that can be a challenging time. Parents mm. are elderly and you might be having to care for elderly parents and stressed about them. It can be a time of work change. Um, and then to back it all up, you have this hormonal roller coaster. And um, so it's so important to be looking after a woman holistically and trying to look at you know lifestyle changes as well as sometimes discussing some of the more medical things that we can do to support women yeah so with the lifestyle changes you in general we talk and research has shown that the exercise really beneficial then we talk about like a healthy diet and in the diet there are like a lot of research going on which food may have some estrogen and can help with the symptoms mm. and then also stress management is really important and there is some research suggested that even the cognitive therapies are really beneficial to manage the menopausal symptoms and similarly with the women depending on how severe their symptoms are but if their symptoms are mild they can manage with the just a changing little bit so for example if women are getting hot flashes but not very often they can just try to put the layers of the clothes and take the layers down and put mm. the layers up or change the food that sometimes some people say that coffee triggers their hot flashes to avoid that so those sort of small changes can help with the symptoms if they are mild if symptoms are moderate to severe definitely they need to have some more treatment or some more medical management but if they are mild just a lifestyle changes can be beneficial some patients when they come to see me they have already tried some over the counter medications mm. if you go to any pharmacy shop you will find lots of these different medications i one of my patient was very happy with it and so i said can you show me what you're taking and she showed me this box which called as a i think harmony tablet or oh, something i've seen a lot of harmony <laughs> menopause max and all sorts oh, of all sorts of things and i was looking at the content because i just wanted to say that whether they have any risk in long term and whether they are safe and sort of thing but when i looked at the content i couldn't describe what it contains because there were a lot of herbal medicine names and i haven't come across any like uh, robust research around them to see what their benefits mm. are and what their risks are and i think that's the tricky part with the over the counter medications that we don't have a clear cut research about that so if i give any hormonal medication i will tell them that the research shows this is the risk and these are the chances and these are the things to avoid but compared to that with the those what we call as a therapy. yeah complementary therapies there is not that much robust research there yeah. is this really great fact sheet which might be helpful for women it's on the australasian menopause society website and it's like a traffic light system looking at complementary therapies and what there is evidence for what there might not be evidence for but it's not thought to be harmful and what there is evidence that may be harmful 
And, and that's a really helpful tool because it does break down what might actually be helpful of those complementary therapies. And certainly some can be. So, for example, vitamin E can be helpful for mild hot flushes and St. John's wort can be helpful for mild mood changes. But it's also important that those complementary therapies can interact with other medications that a woman is taking. So it is important to discuss it with your doctor as well. Yeah, that, that is very important point because sometimes I see patients for some other surgery and you ask them about all the medications they are taking. And sometimes they think that if they are taking some over-the-counter medication or complementary medication or some herbal or natural medications, they don't need to tell. But they can interact with the other medicines so it, and can change their bleeding time or clotting time. So it's really important that you enlist all the things when you talk to your doctor. Mm. So other than the complementary and lifestyle strategies, which I think lifestyle strategies are important for everyone, um, it can be really helpful to discuss with a woman the other therapies that might be helpful, um, both through perimenopause and menopause, to help support how she's feeling. So in that group, I'm talking more about prescribed medications, and there are both non-hormonal medications and then hormone replacement therapy. So it's a big topic, and we're not going to talk every single detail about it today, but I thought it'd be a good opportunity for a bit of an overview. So to start with non-hormonal options, because that's probably a bit simpler to run through. So in that group, I would think about antidepressant medication, one anti-seizure medication called gabapentin, and one blood pressure medication called clonidine. So these medications really are more helpful for the hot flush type symptoms and can be really effective at reducing the frequency of hot flushes and night sweats for a woman. And it's a particularly good option if hormone replacement therapy is thought to be risky or unsafe for that woman. And we will run through what some of those contraindications to HRT might be. As you've described all the different symptoms, sometimes we need to look at what the symptoms, particularly the women sitting in front of us, is suffering from. So if someone is like uh, having difficulty sleeping and feeling really depressed and also having hot flashes, something like SSRI is, or what we call as a venlafaxine, which is like a mild antidepressant, can be really actually helpful mm. without going through all the cafe of hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. Now, I would like to talk a little bit about hormone replacement therapy. Uh, and um, like, as you know, menopause is one of my favorite topics, so we can talk about it yeah, a lot. Yeah, me too. We could talk about it all day. And I love HRT as well, but we'll try not to get carried away. Yeah, yeah. but just a little briefly, I would like to look at the history. So if we look at the human history sort of thing, if we look at 100 years back, probably the life expectancy was not that much. So as we are sort of doing uh, like a lot of advances in medicine, the life expectancy is increasing. So on an average, life expectancy in Australia is around 85 years in Caucasian population and almost 65 years in Aboriginal population. There, there are different reasons for that difference. But main thing what I feel is that if someone is having menopause at around age of 50, almost one third of their life, they are going to be in menopausal state uh, or in menopause sort of phase. So in early, like um, sort of early 1900 or 1860s, when people started looking at a lot of different remedies to control menopausal symptoms, in around 1970s, they come across with the hormone which can sort of uh, control all the symptoms. And it was like advertised as a feminine forever. And this is like a panacea of life. And mm. you can be young forever and can take this 
hormones and i've seen those advertisement from that time where mm. it was advertised as one of the best thing to happen in humanity sort of thing and it was prescribed without any control without any like sort of a controlled studies and trials and things like that and then after like 10 20 years there were a lot of research suggested that okay nurses study suggesting that there is increased risk of cancer or there are other studies looking at some other side effects like blood clots and things and then there was like a sort of a bit more review about what medications are going on and things like that and in year 2000 there was a big research published which we call as a women health women's health initiative or whi trial and when that research was published i think even before that research was published in actual what we call as a uh, authorized journal sort of thing it was first published into newspaper mm. which is little bit different but it was published in a bit more panicky way saying that this may cause cancer and you have to stop and that panic was set in lot of general population and lot of people stopped using hrt after that and a lot of doctors as well became really fearful and still to this day many doctors are not well educated or don't well understand the real risks and benefits of HRT yeah or get like that baseline fear but the highlight i would like to say that in this study the average population of the women in whi study was around 61 so they were already 10 years postmenopausal they were on very high dose of hormone therapy and they were not screened about any other risk factors before they started so since 2000 in um, when the whi trial was published there has been lot of reanalysis and lot of women are still followed up and 20 years after this research we actually know that if we start hormone replacement therapy early it is actually beneficial mm. than starting late similarly we say that if someone has no uterus or they have a hysterectomy and we are just giving them estrogen it is actually beneficial to reduce the risk of cancer mm. similarly if we are giving them a transdermal which is going through skin it is quite much less risk or it can actually reduce the risk of breast cancer and just on the risk of cancer i would like to highlight that lot of women or lot of doctors get really worried about the hormones but there are other lifestyle factors like uh, drinking alcohol smoking or having no exercise or weight gain all actually increase the risk of cancer mm, so true. that is much more than the hormones yeah i think let's break that down in a bit more detail so you're right that that study put a lot of fear in a lot of women and a lot of doctors but we really well understand that data now and we're a lot more comfortable with the true risks and benefits so we know that if women start hrt within 10 years of menopause and before the age of 60 so really 50 to 60 is this real window of opportunity that most women would benefit not just in terms of how they're feeling but from their health risks because hrt can reduce a woman's risk of developing cardiovascular disease so that's heart disease and cardiovascular disease is the biggest killer of women so we know it's helpful for cardiovascular disease prevention it's also helpful to reduce the risk of osteoporosis helpful to reduce the risk of bowel cancer and and not to mention the benefit in quality of life that it can give a woman and and also as you mentioned the way that we deliver hrt can be delivered in a way that's number one best suited to a woman but also to reduce those other risks like blood clot risk if we can deliver the estrogen component through the skin we know that's very safe compared to oral estrogen of course there are risks to anything and and it is important to consider the woman in front of us 
Certainly if a woman had a history herself of breast cancer, we would not happily prescribe HRT. But the two big groups or risks, I should say, of HRT that women are fearful really is that blood clot risk. So that is slightly increased through oral estrogen, but giving it through the skin is much safer and we can more comfortably prescribe that. And the second one is that breast cancer risk. So just by having breasts, a woman has a one in eight chance of developing breast cancer in her life. So that's reasonably high and that's why it's so important to stay up to date with breast screening. HRT, so combined HRT, which means estrogen plus progesterone, does slightly increase breast cancer risk by an extra one in 1,000 women after five years of use. So if you think of that, you know, your baseline risk is one in eight. Of course, it's important to have that awareness that it's a slight relative risk increase after five years of use, but it's nothing you know, like it was published in 2002 with that WHI study where it was saying, you know, triples your chance of breast cancer. And even in women who have a strong family history of breast cancer, HRT is a tiny risk increase compared to their family history risk. So it is really worthwhile having that discussion with your GP or your gynecologist or your endocrinologist. Yeah, definitely. So I just want to highlight here that when we talk about HRT or hormone replacement therapy or menopausal hormone therapy, we call it by any names, what it means is we think that as we get older, our ovaries are not producing enough eggs and we are not getting enough estrogen and that's causing a lot of symptoms. So we want to replace the estrogen. But when estrogen acts on all other our body parts, it also acts on the uterus mm. and can make the uterine lining really thick. So we want something to protect that and we want to have a progesterone. So most HRT has got a combination of estrogen and progesterone. And nowadays we are very lucky that there are many options. Mm. We, we have a many different tablet options with the different combinations. We have a transdermal or skin patches in different combinations. We can have a skin gel which can help or we can have a skin gel and Mirena, which is very low dose combination. So the, these are a lot of different combinations just with the estrogen and progesterone hormone. There is also something which works like estrogen but doesn't have actual estrogen. So which, which is something like a tipulone, which can work as HRT and won't cause them all the different side effects. So important thing is it is definitely can improve the quality of life but also have a long-term benefits. And I think instead of trying something over the counter, which doesn't have much research database behind it, it would be really important for women to aware of menopausal symptoms, uh, get more information about it. And if it is affecting their life, then to talk to their doctor and start with some treatment. And when we start with the treatment, we usually start with the lowest dose pass mm -hmm. possible for shorter duration. And we do check women again every six months to 12 months. So we are keeping eye on things to check how things are going and if their symptoms are improved. So some women get a lot of menopausal symptoms in first couple of years and they don't need anything further. Some women may have a menopausal symptoms for five to 10 years and there are like around 10% women who can get menopausal symptoms even later in their life. But I think that that choice is really important to make your own choice for that health. I had one patient who was around 78 years old. She was already on HRT, which was like a tablet form, so mm. a bit of high dose HRT. And her mom had a breast cancer. So when I was seeing her, I said to her, oh, are you taking HRT? And she was like, before I could say anything else, she said, look, that is my choice. 
and the people who told me not to take they are either dead or in the hospital <laughs> i want to live life my way so i'm going to take it and i was a bit surprised but i thought that's right that if she feels that that's giving her better quality of life that that's the choice is really important mm, i think a regular review as you said is really important to make sure it's the safest version for a woman and sometimes that might mean changing you know a few years in from a tablet version to a patch and um, and sometimes we can bring the dose down over time as well and we often do i'd say probably the average woman would use hrt for maybe 3 to 5 years just for this transition period which is when those symptoms are the worst but that does vary and there's no like cut off where suddenly you're not allowed to be on hrt anymore because you've reached a certain age as long as you are aware of the risks and the benefits and how that relates to you so that's a really big discussion and so it's tricky to have that discussion in a 15 minute appointment so i generally recommend women booking a long appointment and it might need a few long appointments to really nut out all the details and to make sure that if we are prescribing something that it's the right fit for a woman There's also some really great resources which I would recommend to a woman to maybe have a read through before or in between these appointments. So some great go-tos are the Gene Hales website which has got so much information both about some of those lifestyle changes, some of the dietary changes like you mentioned that might contain phytoestrogens as well as information about HRT and the non-hormonal treatments. and the Australasian Menopause Society which I mentioned earlier is a really fantastic resource and very much evidence based and and one big topic which does come up quite a lot is libido and there's a brilliant book which has been written by a GP called Dr Rosie King which is called where did my libido go which i have found to be such a great tool for so many patients wonderful so that's really good i like the australian menopause society website they not only just have a fact sheets but they also have a very important like a useful videos and i think those videos are prepared by experts in australia about menopause so really uh, what we say reliable and authentic information uh, and there are some risk calculators as well so if women are worried about their risk of osteoporosis or which increases risk of fractures and things or risk of breast cancer they can definitely look at different risk calculators yeah mm. well i think that's a nice summary of menopause as we've both said we both love chatting about menopause and hrt we could spend all day and a whole season <laughs> just breaking that down and maybe we will <laughs> but as you said this is the final episode of our first season of our podcast so thank you all for tuning in if you have enjoyed our podcast please do rate and review because it makes a huge difference and it really helps other listeners find us and if you have any suggestions for future episodes or questions please do message us on our instagram which is full circle podcast or email us at full circle women's health podcast at gmail.com yeah thank you very much it was very lovely doing this 